Welcome to another edition of Children of Song, the podcast that explores what it must have been like to grow up surrounded by music. For those of you who might be taking this journey with us for the first time, we're speaking with artists for whom making music is as natural as breathing. Some of them are the sons and daughters of music stars. Some of them grew up in homes surrounded by family music makers. Some of them began making music when they were so young that they can hardly remember a time when music wasn't in their lives. But all of them are children of song. Over the next 40 minutes, we'll find out who inspired them, who they met, and ultimately what drove these artists to continue the family legacy and pursue their own musical careers. I'm Robert K. Orman, and I'm joined by my producer, Brad Newman. Hey, Brad. Hey, Robert. How are you? It's so good to be back here in Nashville. And, you know, what I really like about this first guest, which we're going to introduce in just a second, is, you know, there's a wonderful song that... um, our guest sings called 500 Miles Away From Home. And what's interesting is I live in a town that's 17 miles from New York City, but I grew up, and, and I kid you not, I mean, you can't make this stuff up, literally 500 miles from a place I grew up in Ohio. So that had a lot of resonance for me. I mean, I've done it in the car, and sometimes it literally ticks 499, sometimes 500, sometimes 501. But it's about as close as you can get. And that's the beauty of all of the songs of Bobby Bear, who is our guest today. They resonate so powerful with the listeners because they do tell true stories. Brad's here to keep us honest and help me along the journey. And Jamie Pfeffer's our engineer. We're continuing this morning in the suburb of Hendersonville in the beautiful home of Country Music Hall of Fame member and Grammy Award winner Bobby Bear. Bobby has originated not only 500 miles away from home, but such standards as Detroit City, the streets of Baltimore, Marie Laveau, and Drop Kick Me Jesus. Among his many accolades, he was recently named by Rolling Stone magazine as one of the top country music artists of all time. Bobby's famous in Nashville as a champion of songwriters. He's embraced the songs of such diverse names as Bob Dylan, Guy Clark, the Rolling Stones, Buffy St. Marie, Tom T. Hall, Billy Joe Shaver, Rodney Crowell, and Shel Silverstein. Although he is a giant in the country field, his son, Bobby Bear Jr., has made his mark in the worlds of rock and Americana music. He's with us as well. So we're both children of song today. <laughs> this show is a special treat for me because when I moved to Nashville 40 years ago, Bobby and his wife, Jeannie Bear, were the first stars to welcome me and take me to dinner. Plus, I'm still a huge fan because Bobby Bear's newest album, Things Change, is as fine a record as he has ever made. Welcome, both you guys. We're so glad you're here. Cool. Cool. Hey, hey, hey. You know, Bobby, your childhood was no bed of roses, was it? You were... No, it You lost your mom when you were just a little boy, right? Yeah, five years. Five years old when my mother died. And we were living down in Kentucky, down there in... uh, Right outside of Hazard, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Poor, poor part of the world. And matter of fact, I remember saw them. they hauled they hauled her off on the back of a flatbed truck. Your mama? Yep. Wow. Yeah. And it kind of broke the family up for a while, didn't it? Well, forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, forever. Our my two year old sister was adopted out, and. Uh, me and my older sister, we stayed with a lot of relatives. 
do you think maybe music was a escape for, from all of that for you? What do you think? Was I'm it? sure it was. I'm sure it was because I always always wanted to sing. I could hear a song once, and I I still remember. I still remember the the Pepsi Cola commercial. <laughs> I don't know if you remember or not, but I remember it. It's Pepsi Cola, it's a spot, 12 full ounces. That's a lot. Twice as much for a nickel, too. You know Pepsi is a drink for you. Nickel, 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 nickel. nickel. <laughs> and no wonder you became a star. <laughs> Can you imagine a bottle of Pepsi costing a nickel? <laughs> When you started playing, uh, you actually had a hit fairly young with the All-American Boy. You were still a teenager, weren't you? No, I was uh, in my early, early 20s. I, yeah. I just gotten drafted. Yeah. Actually, I was 23. Okay. 23, because that's when you got drafted. Mm -hmm. That that was, when you hit 23, if you hadn't been in the military, you're gone. And I know Elvis, he hit 23 in uh, early part of the year. He got drafted, and six months later, I'm just about that much younger than him, six months, uh, I got drafted. So, uh, And that's what the All-American Boy's about. Is yeah, get, get, <laughs> guitar picker, getting drafted, going in the Army. Well, the funny thing was, though, it didn't come out under your name. No, it came out, out under the name of Bill Parsons, because Bill was a teenage buddy of mine uh, from the time. I, I know when we were both 17 years old, uh, Bill Parson was from Crossville, Tennessee. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and we came down, came down to his folks in Crossville, and then we came to the Grand Ole Opry for the very first time. And I think we were 17 or 18, somewhere in there. And and the, the, at the Ryman Auditorium, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I had never heard a PA system before. Wow. And uh, I was sitting behind one of these these uh, big old logs. Oh, those pillars they have in the middle. Pillars. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd have to duck around and watch, but I didn't care. I've loved every minute of it. Do you remember anything they sang that night? I remember Carl Smith singing Are You Teasing Me? Can you do it? I can sing. I probably. <laughs> uh, when we're all alone in you in my arms Are you teasing me? That's it. I got more girls off of that song. So did Carl Smith. <laughs> oh, Carl Smith was the Elvis before Elvis. Oh, yeah, he was a handsome dude. Why, girls loved him. And the, the, those half-suggestive songs he was singing, like <laughs> Let Old Mother Nature Have Her Way. <laughs> well, all, of us, all of us kids, that we knew what he was talking about. Hey, Bobby Jr., did Daddy sing around the house? No, they they had, uh, they never. Really? Uh, no. Uh, we had guitars, but no, we were always, I mean, he was coming home 
with reel-to-reel tapes from the studio, and they'd play that all the time and sit around and mm-hmm. listen to that a lot. But we were... I, I just don't remember it. No, we, I mean, we, we... You made records with him as right, children. Right, we were in the studio mm-hmm. singing, and we were on the road singing, and I was... I mean, I was either singing on stage or selling T-shirts at Honky Tonks ever since I was a little kid. Is that right? Like way, way little? Um, well, we did a song called Daddy What If in yeah, 74. Uh 74, I guess I was eight, but we recorded it when I was five or six, I think. Yeah, Daddy What If, I remember yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And we were nominated for a Grammy and lost to the Pointer Sisters. <laughs> For country duet of the year. (laughs) If the sun stopped shining, you'd be so surprised. You'd stare at the heavens with wide open eyes. And the wind would carry your light to the skies. And the sun would start shining again. Stop blowing, then the land would be dry. So, you know, he, he's been ca- coattailing me for a long time, is my point. He's been grabbing on, onto my coattails as a child star, I guess. <laughs> but no, I mean, my mom, you know, she's the best singer in the family. She is a really she good singer. All the Jeannie time. Bear can sing. Yeah, she's singing, she's singing in the car all the time, and... I mean, I, did, I didn't really, except for Daddy What If, I didn't perform in public till I was 30. Were, myself, there, were really. there stars around, though? Did Bobby knew everybody in the yeah. industry, you know? Yeah, I mean, George Jones and Tim Willanette lived next door. Um, but most dad's buddies were fishing buddies, uh, unless there was it's professional stuff, unless it was music-related stuff. But One of my... F- I guess one of the things a lot of people might not know is how close you and Shel Silverstein were. Shel was a brilliant, brilliant songwriter and everything. I mean, he could do. He was the most creative person I ever met in my life, and uh, I know he loved Bobby Junior. When, when we did, uh, when we did Daddy What If and some other things. Um, Bobby Jr. would be in the studio bossing us around, saying, How, maybe we should do this and that. It was really strange. She, she also said, look at him. He ain't got a head out, and he's, he's throwing his weight around. But, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Shell was part of our family. And Daddy, what if is a Shell song, right? Yes. And so was Marie Laveau. Uh-huh. Right? So was the winner. Oh, that was a funny one. <laughs> yeah. Shell sang Daddy What If on the Johnny Cash show. I didn't know that. Yeah. If you YouTube it, mm-hmm. they come out and they sing a little bit of A Boy Named Sue. And then Shell goes off on his own and sings Daddy What If all by himself as a back and forth. That's very cool. Yeah. He sings at it. Shell was yeah. the worst singer I ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> he screeched. <laughs> his natural voice was... On Marie Laveau, 
you heard the witch scream. Mm -hmm. That was Shell singing in his natural voice. You've got to sing and a Shell bit. Shell hitting the high C. You've got, you got to sing a bit of Marie Laveau, and we'll all, we'll, we'll all do the Marie Laveau voice. <laughs> Down in the end of where the black trees grow, there's a voodoo lady named Marie. Got black cat tooth and a mojo bone. Anyone who wouldn't leave her alone, she go. And that was Shell doing that. His natural singing voice hitting a high A. <laughs> so fun. That is such a fun song. And it's a real big audience reaction every time. It had to be a fan favorite. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. And uh, people want to hear it, but, but you got to have a band to do that song. You can't just just have a guitar pull yeah. and do it like I'm doing it. Do it. You gotta have a band to to, <laughs> to get it going. But I, I know Shell and I were working on uh, working on an album, and uh, we spent a lot of time. You know, I, I always always listen to the songwriter for phrasing because mm -hmm. they have it perfect. A lot of them can't sing, but you. You got to pick up the right phrasing on the words, or you lose it. And Shell, even though he couldn't sing, he was a master at phrasing. And uh, we were over to the old Holiday Inn over on West End. It's not mm -hmm. there anymore, but we were there working on songs one evening. It was about probably eleven o'clock at night, and. Uh, and I'd been running over songs singing, and finally I got to one, and Shell said, well, now, he grabbed the guitar and says, it goes like this, and he was, he didn't, he didn't get out a verse until some woman pounded on the wall and said, shut the F up. I said, Shell, I've been singing all night. And nothing has happened, and you open your mouth one time. <laughs> That's a good story. You did a whole album of Shell songs. You did a whole album of Bob McDill songs. You were just such a great champion. You were one of the first people to cut Tom T. Hall songs. You well, brought yeah, Billy well, Joe Shaver to town. Well, the odds are, uh, if you cut a whole album of, if you if you find a great songwriter. And you cut a whole album of their songs, there's bound to be a hit in there. I'm <laughs> worried. Uh, Absorb yeah, every bit of the songwriter you can. Bobby Jr., monopolize. You, you have a tune that sort of sums up this kind of Nashville thing called, is it called Visit Me in Music mm -hmm. City? You can play, do that, because that has, that has a, so much resonance for what we're talking about right Actually, now. Actually, Dad co wrote this song. Is that right? Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, I like this song. And uh, my buddy Tony Crow. I was born at the Ryman Auditorium during the Martha White portion of the Grand Old Opry. Roy Acuff cut off my umbilical, then tied it off with his yo-yo string. It was easy growing up for me in Nashville. Music City has always been good to me. 
There's room for you and your cowboy boots. We'll even get you a rhinestone suit. You don't even have to sing on key. <laughs> Producers with computers can fix it all in Nashville, Tennessee. So come visit me in Music City. We'll drink all night and write songs. Everybody will sing. In the pickup bars, the country stars play Japanese guitars. Come and visit me in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> That's great. That's really good. It, it wasn't always easy for you. Was it easy for you having such a, a big star as a daddy? And, you know, because there's some frustration in the back of that song, too, a little Honestly, bit. Honestly, um, it was really easy for me because all my buddies from Belmont College that I went to college with eight years earlier, or gosh, this is... Yeah, like six years earlier, they were all in really great places in the music industry. So it's not that that I had written some great songs and my dad was helping me out. It's that my demo tape went to the right people first. So I had a record. I had a publishing deal my fifth gig, my fifth gig, and a record deal my tenth gig, and only be, and and I. I always think they just signed this song that they thought was a hit. I didn't care. I got a record deal and a publishing deal and got to quit my job at the bike shop. So, but <laughs> did, you, did you want him to go into this business? I wanted him to do whatever his dream was. If, if, if he had a dream, I wanted to pursue it. If that's what it was. Actually, uh, it, the, the, the way it turned out, he got a, he got a big time record deal and and he what what he what he has been doing is as far away from what I do as oh yeah he was in he rock did. he as was a, a rock star and, <laughs> well yeah and, and, and in my opinion there's nothing more pathetic than than a country music dad with uh, his kid on stage. Uh, trying to make it in country music off of the dad's name. Mm -hmm. I knew I was very sensitive to that. So instead of signing with the Nashville label, the guy I signed with a Santa Monica label, and it was me, the band Corn, and the band Incubus. Mm -hmm. And the guy who signed me definitely did not sign me because he knew my dad was on the Grand Old Opry. Right. I'm certain of that. I, I think <laughs> it's a safe bet. That's valid. I don't think too. they even knew who yeah, I no, was. That, that, yeah. And there's and a lot of your dad that, didn't know who he was either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you shielded him when you were when he was younger because right when this big hit comes when you're like five seven years old and you're doing the circuit and all the TV we're doing, shows we're doing yeah we're do, we were on Hee Haw twice. <laughs> but, you, but, but I read where you you kind of said hey enough's enough I want to send him back to school yeah. right I mean oh yeah 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 as a matter of fact we were on Hee Haw a couple of times and they wanted to hire. Uh, uh, Bobby Jr. and my other son Shannon to be on this segment they had as a regular on Hee Haw, and I said no because I knew uh, uh, that would be a bad thing. Uh, they would get harassed in school, and then just this is true. Cr- he was mostly crazy. jealous of our greatness. <laughs> <laughs> we were obviously destined. Believe he it. he he did not want he. We were doing shows in the summertime with Dottie West, 
and Tanya Tucker. And I, I, I think them watching what Tanya was going through at the time was like, oh, we really don't want to see our boys get that <laughs> fantastic. No, I didn't <laughs> That's want way too much TNT. Kids who are stars, it messes up their life. It does, usually. I, I did not want that to happen. And they were so cute. They, they were on hee-haw. They were what do you on, mean were? If they were on hee-haw about three or four times, they'd have been big stars and their life would have been a mess. You know, a now lot, they wasn't on hee-haw. People don't usually associate you with the outlaw movement, but you did what they did before they did it. And that's you produced your own records, you had your own sound, and when then when Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson did it, it became a thing. Well, but, yeah, but that, that, uh, see, William Waylon and that whole thing, that was just a PR thing, mm-hmm. uh, totally. Uh, Willie and Waylon were managed by Neil Rushing. That's right. Who's, uh, who is well, really not a good guy, but he's very smart. And when RCA put together that album, right. called it The Outlaws. Mm-hmm. Well, that was supposedly was to be on their budget label because what the, the, the record companies would do is every once in a while they would dig down in there and get stuff that didn't sell and didn't wind up in an album or something they had no use for. And they'd put them together on a budget album and release them uh, as uh, cheap products. Well, uh, Jerry Bradley put together this—he uh, was the big RCA boss. This at the album time, yeah. of rejects and <laughs> called it the Outlaw. The oh, Outlaws wanted the Outlaws, and boy, it took off selling a lot. It was country music's first platinum record. Yeah, wow. Now, I mean, you you helped bring Waylon along, did you not? Didn't you like discover him? Uh, yeah, I got I got him his record deal on RCA. Mm-hmm. I had Chet sign him up, and. Uh, and, and and we were friends, and it still still were all the way that carried on all the way through. Yeah, Waylon Jennings was good people. He was except when Waylon went through that time period when he was doing a lot of coke, and uh, I couldn't quite communicate with him, so I sort of lost him. But uh, as soon as he kicked it, I got a phone call and said, "Hey, Bear." This is Waylon, and I'm back. <laughs> Let's go out to dinner and see a movie. Now, you were no stranger to controversy because Margie's at the Lincoln Park Inn was, a, for its time, was a fairly controversial song. Yeah, it was. It was. I, I was doing. Uh, I was scheduled to do the Dick Clark show. They were doing. It. They'd already moved from Philadelphia to L.A., and I, I went to do the Dick Clark show, and I was going to do that song and promote it. And that's why I was doing the Dick, uh, Dick Clark show to promote Margie's at Lincoln. <laughs> that's why everybody did it. And I got there, and they said, well, we don't know. This This is a little bit too blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, what do, what do you want me to do? And they said, can you do Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town? Well, that's not controversial. Oh, <laughs> I said, well, to give people perspective, that song, I mean, it had to do with basically, you know, talking about adultery and basically saying it was somewhat okay or somewhat acceptable and it was something that was happening. Well, it was it just was a, a thing. It just was, you know. Mm-hmm. Do, some, yeah. uh, do some Margie's at the Lincoln Park Inn. Yeah. Uh, and Tom T. Hall wrote this song. Yes, he did. 
and uh, and it wasn't written about the Lincoln Park Inn. This song was written about the old Capitol Park Inn. It used to be over here on. I mean, they had a minor bird in the lobby that talked, <laughs> but kept everybody's secrets. My name's in the paper where I took the Boy Scouts to hike. My hands are all dirty from working on my little board bike. Preacher came by. I talked for a minute with him. My wife's in the kitchen, and Marge's at the Lincoln Park Inn. And I know why she's there Oh, I've been there before But I made a promise That I wouldn't cheat anymore that song and I love your record of it yeah and the last verse I think Tom T took a little cheap shot when he said uh, uh, my little his little old puppy is curled in a ball at my feet and <laughs> <laughs> you're quite the storyteller yourself Bear Jr. over there I can't lie half as good as him <laughs> stories he tells are so much taller I remember that documentary film you did that was all kind of about how hard it is, you know, in the business. And then you yeah. wrote that, uh, it was called Don't Follow Me, I'm Lost, yes. was the documentary film. And then you wrote a song called Sad Smile that kind of echoes that a little bit. Yeah. Tell me about writing that. Um, well, I thought about calling it, uh, yeah, it, uh, um, it's, it, uh, it could have been a really mean song, but I wanted to. I ended up turning it around. Uh, what's making you smile is making me sad, um, and just how the the opposition of the two people in a relationship feeling the same things, you know, and how painful that can be. And that the kind of was the theme of the documentary, too, was how yeah. hard the relationship is in this business. You know? Yeah. Do a little bit yeah. of, of, of sad smile so that people can know what we're talking about. Last night I got busted For acting just like myself While wishing I was Somebody 
else And everybody knows Just who I am I'm a true gone Stuck in your head Back in those my places, just making you mad. What's making you smile? Isn't making me sad. Hmm. I'm Robert K. Orman, and you're listening to Children of Song. And today our guests are Bobby Bear and Bobby Bear Jr. We have talked about these great ballads that you have done. But we haven't talked a lot about your goofball side, <laughs> which you definitely have. <laughs> and probably the epitome of that is a Paul Kraft song called Dropkick Me Jesus Through the Goalposts Alive, which was a, a song that once you've heard it, you've never forget it. <laughs> we have to hear it. Dropkick me Jesus through the goalposts of life. In the red needle, left nor the right Straight through the heart of them righteous uprights Drop kick me Jesus to the goalpost alive Take all the brothers who got on before All of the sisters who knocked on your door all the departed sweet loved ones of mine Stick them up front in the offensive line And drop kick me Jesus through the goalpost's life In nor in the left nor the right Straight through the heart of them rise surprise Drop kick me Jesus to the goalposts of life. <laughs> Tell it all, brother. <laughs> we talked a little bit ago about how you went in a 180 degree direction away from your father's music. But it's still the same songwriting. Well, what I'm going to say, though, still... it, attached to that, though, was you wouldn't sing your dad's songs either for a long time. Well, he doesn't sing any of mine either. <laughs> I've been writing them. I've been th- I pitch them to them all the time, but no, I mean I, I I do now. Talk about working. It's every single kid of a, of a star that we've talked to, whether it would been John Carter Cash or Laurie Morgan or whoever. You have to work in a shadow, you know. And what is that hard? You know, not when you go to the rock and roll world as much. And I. I don't envy John Carter at all because there's so much pressure on him. And it's so easy for someone. I mean, that, that's his whole identity. You know, it, it's, it, it's so overwhelming to, to, for that not to be. Uh, I'm not, you know, Bob Dylan Jr. or Johnny Cash Jr. I'm Bobby Bear Jr. And I'm glad Dad wasn't Waylon Jennings famous, you know, 
Because he's just, if you know, if you happen to know who dad is, you just know he's this really cool guy. And it, at, most people just come up and if they know who dad is, they just tell me how much they love him and appreciate him, okay. how cool they think he is. It's never, you know, I, I'm not Bo Cephas Jr. Jr., you know, and I'm There is very no grateful. shadow. There's no shadow. The shadow isn't, isn't. I'm, I have a lot of friends, you know, good friends whose parents are that famous, and I'm, and I'm grateful that because that is, I can see how distracting it is, and you know, there's a lot of second generation kids in Nashville, and some of them are good and some of them aren't, and there's a lot of, you know, people really sensitive to nepotism. If you move into town into Nashville. And you, you, I mean, if, in, in my circle of musicians and friends, at least half of them are second generation kids. And it's intimidating as heck, except most of them are better than everybody else. I mean, Chris Scruggs is the most talented person Chris I think Scruggs I've ever seen. Chris Scruggs is a talented seen. guy. And, and but how would you so like to be Marty Robbins' kid? I mean, who can sing like that? Yeah, I could never achieve that. Yeah. But, I mean, what I did was I, I just didn't try to tackle that mountain I, I always say it's like it's as if dad sold trucks and i sell motorcycles or something you know i mean mm-hmm. we're kind of in the same business kind of not because you went into rock yeah and mm-hmm. most of my most of my americana friends really don't know what it means to be in guided by voices they really they they kind of heard of guided by voice but in my indie rock world where i've been doing most of my work it's like I got hired by the Beatles, you know. <laughs> like no, I'm sure. like, I, I mean, I, 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 I. It blows my. I mean, I'm really excited about, and I get to write my own song. Like he put two of my songs. Each band member got to put two of their own songs on the last album, so I still get to do my own songs. So it's, it's a. I just tackled a different mountain. I didn't. Right. I, I couldn't imagine it, it. I can see how appealing and easy it would be to, to just slide in and. And do my dad's songs and stuff, but I knew how much that disgusted him. And I well, and I two, how, you know, you, yeah. something you said a minute ago really struck a chord with me. When you think about Bobby Bear, you don't think, "Oh my God, what a gigantic star!" You yeah. think, "What a beloved person." Yeah, everybody loves him. Yeah, you know, it's not like they're. Yeah, like, I know. Yeah. You know, I'm lucky. I'm not Bo Cephas Junior. Junior. Did you get advice from him along the way when you were in? Trying to going up and down and sideways in your own career. I don't remember what, but we talk constantly all the time. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he was he sang on my first record. Um, we've worked together on lots of different stuff. I mean, and I've always been watching him intensely since I was this big because you know he was on stage and people thought he was cool and. It looked like a really fun job. So he was cool. He, was, <laughs> he remains eternally cool. <laughs> oh no, he's the coolest guy. On Period. But uh, but it looked like a lot of fun. So, and I have to say, the new album, things change. He is still going out and finding those songwriters. Yeah. You know, you would think, you know, now, that's somebody thing. of that vintage wouldn't even know some of these young writers. He's got Mary Gaucher songs yeah. on this record. I mean, he's. Uh, You're still the coolest one. <laughs> oh, there's some great writers out there. If you get a, all the older guys like him and 
being around Billy Joe, they're thinking songs. It's all they think about. They think very intensely about songs and and want to talk about songs. And yeah, they never. I've never been around someone like Dad or Billy Joe who is talking about gear. Right. <laughs> they don't talk about guitars or gear really, mm-hmm. unless you make them. And that they will talk about songs and songwriters. You know. And I'll tell you one thing. When Shell would ride Bobby like a horse to get him to write more, more. write, write more, write more, write more. Well, to me, okay, Shell would tell me to right. write more yeah. when I was in, you know, in having my first record deal, because he knew he knew, Shell knows I'm lazy like Dad. <laughs> if he just gets me halfway, you know, if he just doubles my production somehow, I'll write more. But, you got to do a little bit of I Drink, which is one of the great Mary Gaucher songs. Uh, and a story of your life in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put this capo up here. I did the Grand Ole Opry Friday night. How'd it go? I put the capo on the wrong... Oh, yeah. On the wrong one. On the wrong and, uh, Wait, were you playing that guitar? No, I played another one. Yeah, that'll do it. But the band finally figured it out. (laughs) It sounded real good. He get home about 5.30, fix a drink, and sit down in his chair. Pick a five with Mama. Complain about us kids getting in his hair. At night he'd sit alone and smoke. I'd see his frown behind the lighter's flame. That same frown's in my mirror. Got my daddy's blood inside my veins. I do fish swim birds fly that is yell mama's cry old man sit and think song wow. totally great song but well, we got to go out with something good now oh yeah we got to go out with something really good well, first of all one of the greatest country songs ever written is detroit city i by think so danny dylan mel tillis it's in the top five of anybody's list of the greatest country songs yes, right it's a good one <laughs> can you do it i know you can because we did it one time for leadership music together your capo your capo oh, don't forget your capo i'm not a capo guy Okay, Bobby, you got to sing. Uh, I don't sing, learn. You got to sing harmony with me on this. I, I can sing harmony. You sing harmony because the uh, in the album, in the album, I got uh, Chris Stapleton to do. We did a duet on this. 
That's right. <laughs> yeah, and I told Chris, I said, now, you're not just singing harmony with Bobby Bear on this song. I said, this is a duet. I said, we're like, we're the Everly Brothers. I said, you're Don and I'm Phil. <laughs> and this is a duet. And we, and we did it as a duet. All the way through, he sang harmony. Great. And one of the greatest singers. Thank you. One of the classics. Just a classic. Well, it's been great. Bobby Bear Jr., you are the best, buddy. Cheers. And your daddy is even more better. I know you're right. I'm proud of my son. You uh, should be. He's one of the good ones. He's a good Next week, we've got another good one with a very famous father. Singer-songwriter and producer Dean Miller stops by and talks about growing up with his famous dad, the walking poet and country music legend, Roger Miller. It's a very funny episode. Crazy stories in this one, including one where Elvis in a limousine actually stops Roger Miller for the sole purpose of sharing a few laughs and getting Roger's autograph. Now that's when you know you've made it. We also want to thank iTunes for featuring this podcast and all our new subscribers who are supporting this journey. Take a listen, look back at past episodes, and rate and review us. We want to know what you think. Children of Song, the podcast that combines live music with great storytelling. Till next time, I'm Brad Newman. Thanks for listening.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.